Let's all give it up. Let's give Ryan a hand as he comes up and ministers to us this morning. How are you guys doing today? Good, good, good. Excuse me. My wife and I have both been battling some stuff. I don't think it's COVID, so don't worry, all right? And if it is, surely we're all immune to it by now. So anyways, hope you guys are having a, uh, having a great day. It's an honor to be with you. Um, I'm, I'm so excited. I absolutely love your pastor, Randy. Did you guys know that you have the greatest pastor in the world? Yeah. You need to make sure every time that you see him, you give him a hug and you let him know he is he's awesome. It's so good to see you, uh, Angela. Her grandmother, Martha, helped pray my daughter into existence. And so we miss we miss uh, sweet Martha. So this is kind of funny. I, I asked Pastor Randy what he wanted me to speak about. He said, whatever you want to. And I prayed about it. And God put family on my heart. And then I show up and it's family Sunday. And so this is either a really big coincidence or God is in this. And so I think God's into it. I'm, I'm really leery to say, well, God told me because, you know, sometimes that can be abused. But today I want to speak about the family. And for some of you, you might be thinking, well, I'm a, I'm a grandparent or I'm a, I'm a great grandparent, or maybe I don't even have any kids. You can still have spiritual children. And even if you're in here today and, and you are a, a grandparent, I want you to know that the world is a lot different than it used to be. So hopefully, maybe today we'll maybe give you some insight. How long have you taught? You said you teach middle school too? So, oh, first year teacher. So my, my wife loves it, but it, it's a different world. That it, um, It's a different world. I was a youth pastor for 14 years. And as a youth pastor, this is what I found. Apples don't, <clears throat> excuse me, apples don't fall far from the trees. And neither do nuts. <laughs> All right? <laughs> neither do nuts. And I don't know if you've realized it or not, but families come in all different shapes and sizes. And I was thinking the other day, it's kind of funny how our culture has depicted family differently through the years. Let's kind of look at it. In the 50s and 60s, this is what family was. Who remembers the Leave It to, Leave it to Beaver? Anybody remember that show? All right. Some of you are like, can I raise my hand and say I watch TV in church? Yes, it's okay. All right. Then in the 60s and 70s, we went to a new, a new uh, family, the Brady Bunch. Anybody remember the Brady Bunch? This was Carol and Mike who meshed their, meshed their families together. Remember Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. Remember all of that? Okay. Remember their housekeeper, Alice, and then they even had their dog, Tiger. Then the 80s and early 90s, we went to a new show that was pretty big called Full House. Anybody remember Full House? That was, that was, a, that was a really great show that I remember back in the... 80s and 90s. And then in the 90s as a society, and I, this could be because I grew up in the 90s, but I, I have to tell you my personal opinion. This is nothing from God. This is strictly my personal opinion. I think as a society, we peaked in the 90s and it's been all downhill since then. So <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> Jesus is coming back. All right. But in the 90s, we had some great shows. Okay. We had the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. All right. We had Home Improvement. Um, we had the Wonder Years, and who in here remembers Saved by the Bell, all right? That is one of the greatest shows ever. Our youth pastor at our church said that the show that best described his family was the show Cops, all right? So we won't, um, we won't get into that. But along the way, we had The Simpsons, then we went to Married with Children and Modern Family, and now where are we today? My wife, who, like I said, she's taught... Uh, seventh grade English for the last 16 years, I asked her, I said, ask some of your kids what TV shows they watch. 
And obviously, it's not on TV anymore. It's on Netflix. This was the four most common answers that she got. The first one was 13 Reasons Why. Listen to the description. A book that details the story of a girl in high school who has, been, who has died by suicide. The next show was a show called Riverdale. The description for Riverdale. All I did is she, she just asked the students. They gave her the names, and I just Googled the description. Riverdale is about a teenager who was murdered within the town of Riverdale. And this group of teenagers tried to unravel the evils that are lurking within this seemingly small, innocent town. Another show that was very popular with, with students in her seventh grade class was the show Stranger Things. It's about a small town that is caught up in a series of odd supernatural events triggered by secret government experiments. The last show was a show called Outer Banks. Okay, this, the, the, the title of this show, and it's not a horrible show, but I want you to listen to the description of this show. And, it, and, I, and I really think this description, it breaks my heart. Because as a youth pastor, 99% of the issues I help students deal with was from their parents. But Outer Banks is a teenager enlists his three best friends to hunt for a legendary treasure linked to his father's disappearance. That could be the greatest description of our society today. Where have all the fathers gone? They seem to have disappeared. Amen? So we've come a long way from leave it to beaver to stranger things. And I don't know that our culture is affected by the shows or if the shows are a picture of our culture. But my question today is, where do we look at for what family should actually be like? So I thought, well, let's go to the Bible. And I was very disappointed. <laughs> Adam and Eve. Walking around in the garden naked, nothing's wrong, right? <laughs> maybe, maybe that was what was wrong. But they disobeyed God. Then they have their kids. Talk about sibling rivalry. Cain killed Abel. What about Abraham and Sarah? We've all heard of the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. But while in Egypt, Abraham had his wife pretend to be his sister. And in a little bit later, he actually sold her for a bunch of cows. Men, how would you like it? How would your wife like it if you look at her and say, hey, what did you get me for Mother's Day, babe? Nothing. I sold you for some cows. All right. Probably wouldn't go over well. Later on, Sarah can't get pregnant, so she has a great idea. She says, hey, Abraham, why don't you go sleep with our housekeeper, Hagar? Abraham is like, okay. So he does. Then she gets mad at him. He's like, I just did what you told me. You thought you had a big argument after church on Sunday trying to figure out where your wife wanted to eat lunch. This is a whole nother level right here, all right? Then we get to Noah. <clears throat> Everything's great on the boat, but when they get off the boat, he is drunk. <clears throat> and many scholars believe that one of his sons actually molested him when he was drunk. What about King David? He was a man after God's own heart. He also had an affair. He had a child out of wedlock and he had a guy murdered. Solomon, he was wise. He had a thousand wives. <laughs> That's a thousand mother-in-laws, all right? <laughs> and what's so sad is the Proverbs that I love to read every day went unwritten by a lot of his family because they didn't respect him. Samson had great parents, but he chose not to listen to them and he walk away from God. So what is it? Where do we look? 
What, what, what do we look at for the goal? And what I want you to know today is that even our own families, when we look at our own families, first of all, we can feel a little bit better because of the stories that we just heard from the Bible. But what happens with our families in, in today is we have this ideal of what we know that Scripture says, and then we have the real. And so what happens is a lot of times we get caught between the real and the ideal. I know this is what it should be like ideally, but this is my real. This is my reality. And so t- today, what I want to talk about simply is wherever your real is, I want to give you a few insights how to maybe make your real be the most godly that it could be. So, Ryan, what is what is real? When I take my son hunting, it's one of my favorite things to do. When I take my son hunting and a deer walks out, I don't say, hey, Cooper, there's a deer shoot over in that direction. One of my favorite movies is The Patriot. My favorite line in the movie is when he looks at his sons and he says, aim small, miss small. It's a great line. I get filled with the Holy Spirit every time I watch that movie. All right. <laughs> but but when, my, when a deer walks out, I tell my son, son, usually I'm whispering and I'm eating front shoulder, front shoulder, front shoulder. This last year, he was so locked in on a deer that he shot it in the front shoulder. He didn't realize another deer had walked behind it. He killed two deer with one bullet. I was like... That's awesome. All right. That's awesome. I'm like, my bumper sticker, you know, everybody has like, you know, my kid's an honor student or whatever. My bumper sticker says, my kid killed two deer with one bullet. All right. So anyway, you might be a redneck. Yeah. All right. (laughs) But I want to give you the ideal. Here's the ideal. It's in Ephesians 5. And it says, for this reason, a man will leave his father and and, and mother and be united to his wife. And the two will become one. This is a profound mystery. And all the husbands said, amen. (laughs) This is a profound mystery, this thing I got myself into. I don't understand it. God help me. And then it says this, but I am talking about Christ in the church. What Paul says here is this profound mystery of two becoming one. This is a picture. Listen to me. This is a picture of Christ and the church. When you realize that a family is a picture of Christ in the church and you take a step back, now you understand why there is such an attack on the family today. Because every time Satan sees a family, he is reminded of Christ in the church and that he is not in that family. So as Christians, as Christ followers, we have to remember there's a target on my back. There is a target on my family. And we will not be perfect as we can see from the Bible. God used all of those people mightily. And I read you their stories to give you a little bit of hope. But what I do want you to understand is that is the ideal. And then you keep reading and it says, however, each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself. And the wife must respect her husband. And it says, children, obey your parents. So I could see to you that sometimes there is a gap between the reality of our families because families look different. There's sometimes a gap between the real and the ideal. But today I want us to help try to help us put these together. So I thought, let's look at a story of Jesus when he was a teenager. And when I don't you probably know this, but when you read in the Gospels, there's a lot of stories. There's several chapters about his 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 birth several chapters about growing up, and then we get one story before he's 30. And it's a story of Mary and Joseph leaving him somewhere. Doesn't that make you feel better too? We're going to read it, but you talk about the pressure. If you leave your kid somewhere, that's bad, but your kid's just a regular kid. (laughs) They left the Son of God. Can you imagine that prayer? Dear Jesus, you know, the Messiah thing, you know, like the whole, you know, virgin birth, all that. Yeah, um, we need another one. 
All right. We need another one. All right. So let's read this story. It says this, and I think we can find some things in here that's really going to help us. I know it's helped me as a father. But it says, every year Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the Passover festival. When Jesus was 12 years old, they attended the festival as usual. After the celebration was over, and I want you to, that word as usual, I want you to kind of remember that. After the celebration was over, they started home to Nazareth, but Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents didn't miss him at first. So that sounds like a parent of a preteen, doesn't it? Yeah, I didn't really miss him for a while. <laughs> um, but because they assumed he was among the other travelers. But when he didn't show up that evening, they started looking for him and, they, and among their relatives and friends. When they couldn't find him, they went back to Jerusalem to search for him. Three days later, there's something about three Jesus being gone for three days. I don't know what it is, all right? But three days later, they finally discovered him in the temple, sitting among the religious teachers, listening to them and asking questions. All who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. His parents didn't know what to think. Son, his mother said to him, why have you done this to us? You ever said that to your kids? (laughs) Why have you done this to us? Your father and I have been frantic, searching for you everywhere. And Jesus says this, but why did you need to search? Didn't you know that I must be in my father's house? But they didn't understand what he meant. If you don't understand what your kids mean, neither did Jesus' parents. Then he returned to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. So kids, if Jesus was obedient to his parents... Okay. And his mother stored all these things in her heart. You ever been there, parents? God speaks things to you about your kids. You don't know how to say it. You don't know how to fill it. But you just store it all up in your heart because you know that God has something for them. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and with all the people. This is my goal. This is my target for my family and I. Okay, this is my target. Sarah and I want our kids to follow Christ and we want them to be with us even when they don't have to be. We want them as they grow up and when they get older, we want them to love Jesus and we want them to want to be with us even when they don't have to. That's our, that, that's our goal. That's our goal. It, our goal isn't for them to like us because they're not always going to like us. In fact, if you're a good parent, your kids probably won't always like you. Okay? They probably won't. My son is 11. He wants a cell phone. His mom is an English teacher. She knows what goes on on cell phones. He will probably be 47 before he gets a cell phone. All right? What I've learned as a parent, what I've tried to teach him is sometimes when we're saying no, we're not saying we N-O, we're saying we K-N-O-W. We know. That was free. That wasn't even a point. All right. So how do you keep things real? How do you work on your real? The R stands for responsibility. That's the first point that's going to be on the screen. It says every year when Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the Passover festival, or every year Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the Passover festival. When Jesus was 12 years old, they attended the festival as usual. What's interesting about this story is in this time where Jesus was, he was 12 years old. This hits home to me because my son's 11 and in July he'll be 12. But in this culture, when he was 13, he would have become a man. He would have become, you know, Mike Gunny said, I'm a man, I'm 40. Back then it was, I'm 13, I'm a man. I'm a man, I'm 13. The whole concept of the word teenager 
very interesting if you like to study history and things. The term teenager is, is a pretty new term, about 50, 60, 70 years old. We didn't have teenagers. Used to, you were a kid, and then you like went out into the forest, and you killed something, you brought it back home, and then you were a man. That's just kind of the way that it was. And in this culture, when Jesus would have turned 13, he would have been a voting member of the synagogue. And so every year, Jesus' parents were taking him there. And it's interesting that they did that because they knew what was soon coming. I also don't want it to be lost on us today that if God thought it was appropriate for his son to leave heaven and come to earth, and, and if he thought it was appropriate for his son to be embedded in, in a household of a mother and a father, don't you think it's important for our kids to be the same? I mean, think about it. If there was ever a time in history that God could have said the man wasn't important, this would have been it. Mary was a virgin. Her and Joseph had, had never consummated their marriage. And, and, and God still chooses, and he says, I think it's best for my son to go be in that household. Parents, you don't have to be perfect. You just need to be parents. But you have a responsibility. Mary and Joseph could have just said, our son is God. We don't have to do anything. Could you imagine raising Jesus? Were you born in a barn? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You ever said that to your kids? Could you imagine being one of Jesus' brothers? James. Okay, Jesus, you know, turns water into wine. I'm thinking about the next wedding that Jesus wasn't there. Everyone's looking at James and he's like, what do you want me to do? I'm not James Christ. I'm just James. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Talk about pressure. All right. (laughs) But they could have just went through life and just said, well, he's God. But no, they had a responsibility and they knew it was their responsibility. They knew they had the responsibility to raise Jesus and they had the the biblical mandate from God and you have the biblical mandate from God to raise your kids. Can I say this to some of the older crowd that are in here? I just want to say how awesome it is that you allow the children to be in here during worship, to see, let them see you worship, to have them come in here and to, and to have a youth group that can go on a mission trip to Mission Arlington. That is an incredible, incredible thing. And let me challenge you with this. In our church back home, sometimes we have some people who will get a little cranky with, with the teenagers. But you know what they'll tell me? You know what? I have a lost grandson that lives far away. And I'm going to love this kid that's right here the same way I hope someone loves my lost grandson really far away. And I said, you know what? That is, an, that, that is such an awesome thing. Why? Because we all have a responsibility. The Bible says fathers don't exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Training is showing or demonstrating someone how to do something. If you want to frustrate your kids, tell them to do something. Tell them to do something you have never showed them how to do. Instruction is telling them about Jesus. What I've found is that kids will usually ignore your advice, but heed your example. They they will ignore your advice, but heed your example because more is caught than is taught. I have a friend and his wife had a video on Instagram of their little two-year-old coming in and she put lipstick. She said, look, mommy, I got lips just like you. She has lipstick all over her face. And did, did, did my friend's wife ever teach, his, teach her two-year-old how to put lipstick on her face? No. But what did she say? Just like you because she watched it. Because she watched it. The E stands for expectation. <clears throat> When Jesus was 12 years old, they attended the festival 
as usual. I want to ask you a question. Do you clearly communicate your expectations to your kids? Do you clearly communicate expectations to your kids? When Sarah and I was, was a youth pastor, I joke about the whole, you know, apples don't fall far from the tree and neither do nuts. For 14 years, she's a teacher, I'm a youth pastor. We had, we averaged about 250 kids in our youth group during our tenure. And so we would sit there and she would have around 120 to 130 kids every year. Guess what we got to see a lot of? Parents. You know what we saw even more than parenting? The consequences. <laughs> In the kids, all right? And, and this is what we found. The parents who had the most rules had the kids who got in the most trouble. <laughs> so, Ryan, are you saying that you shouldn't have rules? But no, this is what I'm saying. We would go to youth camp. And finally, my last couple years as a youth pastor, I was getting old. I was bald. I couldn't fit in the skinny jeans. I couldn't stay up late anymore. And we used to have all these rules. You know what my rule became? Don't be that guy. What do you mean? Don't be that guy. What does that mean, Ryan? Don't be that guy. You know what that guy is, right? So we have these three rules for our kids. Show honor, be truthful, and control your attitude and your effort. You know what we found? If you show honor, it takes care of a lot of the rules, doesn't it? It takes care of almost everything. If you're truthful, it takes care of a lot of the problems, doesn't it? And if you always have a good attitude and a good effort, then you know what? you're going to probably take care of a lot of things. And what I've done, what I've realized is those three simple rules leaves lots of room for the Holy Spirit to work on your kids' lives. Leaves lots of room for them to mess up. And that's a good thing for them to mess up when they're young because they learn one of the most valuable words in the English language. It's the word consequences. And they're able to connect the consequence to that. Something else about expectations. I love it says that Mary and Joseph, they went like they usually do. Everyone say usually. What are some of your usuals? Well, let me explain like this. I think usuals in a family are kind of like when you're driving down the turnpike. You, you ever been driving down the turnpike and you get a little sleepy or you're looking in the back seat or you're whatever and you kind of get off the road a little bit and you go over that. You know what I'm talking about? Okay. Why are those there? They're there to wake you up, to let you know that something is wrong. You know what I think would be great for you to have in your life? For you to have some usuals. Mary and Joseph went as they usually did. When you start missing the usuals as a family, that should be a wake-up sign that something's out of alignment, our priorities are wrong, and we need to get back on track. Some of the usuals that we've done in our house is this. Dinner as a family is a usual. Go home if you get bored this afternoon. Don't do it now. But if you get bored this afternoon, go home and Google the benefits of eating dinner together as a family. It will blow your mind. Dinner as a family is a usual. Church on Sunday and Wednesday, that's a usual. It's just a usual. When my kids wake up, they're not like, hey, are we going to church today? Because it's a usual. When I was a kid, I had a drug problem. My parents drug me to church on Sunday. They drug me to church on Sunday night. They drug me to church on Wednesday night. They drug me to church early for, you know what I'm talking about? But it was just a usual. On cue, on the way home from church on Wednesday night, that's a usual. It's just a fun thing. We don't have to make our beds on Thursday because we're out late at church on Wednesday night. It's just a usual, all right? We don't stay out really late on Saturday nights because we have church the next day. This year, that was easy because OU was horrible, and so there was nothing to watch late at night. <laughs> Thursday nights, my son has baseball practice, and I take him. And my wife and my little girl, they have 
they have their date night. That's a that's a usual. Their girls' night, not date night, but their girls' night, and they just lay in bed and they watch they watch their movies. Every Friday we get Brahms. My son will order a vanilla ice cream and a waffle cone, and my little girl will order an orange sherbet and an ice cream cone. She'll take three licks, and on the way home she'll say, I'm done, and then she'll throw it out the window, and usually she hits someone behind me. Okay, but I'm just saying, we have our usuals. Does that make sense? It wasn't a new thing for Jesus to go to, for him to go to, for him to go to Jerusalem with his family. It was what they usually do. So many times we make a to-do list. Sometimes as a family, we need to make a to-don't list. Because we simply get so busy. One of the things that's really haunted me is this. I don't want to be a better pastor, a better worker, than I am a husband or a father. And I think we talked about Noah a minute ago and kind of gave him a hard time. But one of the reasons why I think we have to give Noah some respect is because nobody in the world believed him except for his family. And nobody else believed it was going to rain. And everyone thought he was stupid for building a boat. But his family believed him because they saw the life that he lived. God helped me to be like that. God helped me to be like that with Noah. Help my kids, even if the world doesn't believe me, help them to know, but Dad, I know that you love God. I don't understand my heavenly Father, but I understand my earthly Father. And I think that's why we have so many in our culture today that have a hard time understanding their, he- their heavenly father. It's because the lens through which they see their heavenly father is their earthly father. And it's just not like it's supposed to be. I also know that if Satan can't deceive you, he is perfectly content in distracting you. It's easy to be distracted. I don't have my cell phone up here because I don't want to be distracted. But you can, be sitting, you can be sitting in your living room and be everywhere in the world except for where you're at with your phone. Parents, you would never go to sleep at night and not lock your front door or shut the windows. But parents all over the world let their kids go into their room and sleep at night with their cell phones. Sorry, kids. <laughs> Ryan, what are you saying? I'm saying that we just need to make sure that we're not distracted. We need to make sure that we're not living our life in comparing it to what everybody else is doing on social media. You ever seen anyone put something stupid of themselves on social media? Well, I was an idiot today. You don't see that because social media is the highlight reel of everyone's life. And if we're not careful, we'll start comparing our, our normal to everybody else's edited version of their life and we'll start comparing the two and it's not supposed to be like that. Because the easiest way to kill something special that you have is to compare it to somebody else. A couple of years ago, it was my wife and I's 15th wedding anniversary. I said, hey, let's do something fun. And so we decided we were going to go to Dallas on a little little uh, anniversary trip. So I was telling one of my friends at church, hey, we're going to go out of town for anniversary. He said, man, don't go anywhere lame like Dallas. Well, actually, that's where we're going. <laughs> that's what I told him. And you know what? It was one of the most fun trips my wife and I have ever had. Why? Because it wasn't about what somebody else thought. It was about what was best for us. The A stands for assume the best. Assume the best. It says in the story, after the celebration was over, they started home to Nazareth, but Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. Now listen to this. His parents didn't miss him at first because they assumed he was among the other travelers. I, uh, at first, when you read that, I thought, wow, you could really preach that. Don't assume things. Assuming is not a good thing. 
But you know what I think is interesting about this is Mary and Joseph, they assumed the best. They didn't live in a life of fear. Other translations of the Bible said they went a day's journey before they realized they had left Jesus. Could you imagine that? What's a day's journey? I looked it up from here to San Antonio is about six and a half hours. So a day's journey would have been about eight hours. So if you stop at Bucky's a couple times, that San Antonio trip is about a day's trip. It would be like going from here to San Antonio and realizing that you left your kid. (laughs) Does that make sense? That's a pretty long drive. And here's the thing. It's one thing, like I said earlier, to lose our kids. But this was the son of God, right? This was Jesus. And one of the things that I have found is that it's really, really easy to always assume the worst. Can I just tell you, if Mary and Joseph left their kid, the the God of the world, if they couldn't find him for a few days, then can I just say this? As a parent, you're probably going to make a couple mistakes, too. So you know what you need to let that be? It's okay. It's going to be okay. Well, I messed that up. Learn from it. But they assumed the best. For, for about the last month, I was, I was asking some younger couples in our church different things about their kids and different stuff. And the biggest answer I got and what they struggled with was this. This is what they said. They would say, I'm just afraid I'm going to screw up my kid. They're like, yeah, do I homeschool? Do I private school? Do I public school? Do I go to co-op? Do I go online? Should I do blended? Does he play ball? Does he not? What if he sets out? How's it going to make me look? What if they miss out? What should I do this? And really what parents are saying is, I'm afraid. I'm afraid. And Ryan say, and some of you say, Ryan, you should be afraid. Haven't you seen the world? Haven't you seen how it is? Yes, I see the world is crazy. And all the time people say, I would not want to be raising kids in this world. But can I remind you that Mary and Joseph had to flee to Egypt under the orders of an angel because Herod wanted to kill Jesus? Can I remind you that Daniel was thrown into a lion's den? Can I remind you that Moses, his mom put him in a basket and floated him down a river because she felt like that was a better option? Listen to me, friends. It has been crazy for a really, really long time. But in 2 Timothy 1.7, it says, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and of a sound mind. And according to that verse, I believe that at times fear, it says God has not given us a spirit of fear. I believe sometimes fear can be a spirit. Do we even need to talk about 2020? We won't even go there, will we? And all I'm telling you is this, as parents and as children of God, we can assume the best because we have the Holy Spirit inside of us that guides us to be the parent that we're supposed to be, the grandparent that we're supposed to be. Jesus was 12. In one year, he was going to be a full-grown man, a full member of the synagogue. And at some point, they knew they had to let him go. I, uh, I love the verse here. <laughs> Well, let, let me back up just a second on that. It's hard to assume the best sometimes with your kids, isn't it? It's scary. Every day when my little girl, she'll go on the bus to go to school. When I drop off my son at school and I know what's going on, sometimes it can be scary to assume the best. But when they found Jesus, I think Jesus probably looked at them and said, Mom and Dad, why are you scared? I watched you pray all these years. I watched you love each other all these years. When you thought I was lost, what did you think I was doing? Did you not know that I would be in my father's house? And I think it's so important that sometimes to give our kids a little bit of space and a little bit of room to let them hear the voice 
of God. The last letter is L, and it stands for listen. I love this verse because this is so funny. If you, if you have kids, you understand this. But it says, when they couldn't find him, they went back to Jerusalem. Three days later, they, just, they discovered him in the temple. His parents didn't know what to think. Son, his mother said to him, why have you done this? Your father and I have been frantic, searching for you everywhere. But, did you, but why did you need to search, you asked? Didn't you know that I must be in my father's house? But they didn't understand what he meant. You ever been there? They didn't understand what he meant. Listen, if you're going to have a family that lives for God, if you're going to live for what matters most, you're going to have to listen to each other and you're going to have to listen, listen to God. Let me ask you this. Are you raising your kids and grandkids to, to be in your image or in God's image? I have an app on my phone called Parent Q. It's a great app. And I think this morning I have 383 weeks left until my son graduates. And I keep that on my phone. And some parents are like, that's horrible. Why would you want that? But because it's a constant reminder. It's a constant reminder. And what I've learned is that when we don't listen to our kids and we impose our will on them and, do, and have them do what we want, we remove the possibility of them hearing from God for themselves. Does that make sense? It, you understand what I'm saying? So God really challenged me about around New Year's. He really challenged me with this. Ryan, what is the presence that you bring into the room as a father? What is the presence that you bring into your house as a husband? A couple, a couple weeks ago, it was 8.45 at night. And my wife and I were like, we're going to get in bed before 9 o'clock. This is awesome. And my son looked at me and said, Dad, can we rearrange my room? I said, son, not, not tonight. We're not. We'll, we'll work on it tomorrow. It's eight forty-five at night. Okay, we're not going to do that right now. I have learned to never look at your wife and say, "I think we're going to get in bed early tonight." That's when bad things happen. All right. So he, I, I said no, and there was something in me. He said, "I just want to move my bed away from the window." And there was something. Oh, sorry. There was something in my heart, and there was that. There was the Holy Spirit just said, "You need to listen to your son." So I stopped and I said, Cooper, okay. So we started moving things around and he moved. And so finally, we've been moving. my wife was like, what are you doing? I said, babe, I just feel like I'm supposed to listen to him. I'm supposed to help him move his bed. So finally, we get it all rearranged. So like his, there was, his bed was over there right next to the window. Now it's across the way and he lays down. He's like, oh, this is so much better, Dad. I said, Cooper, what's wrong? He goes, I just didn't like sleeping by my window. I never slept very good. If someone breaks in the house, I need to be able to shoot him with my BB gun. <laughs> I was like, you are my son. <laughs> but you know what's funny? For him, it was actually a big deal. We can barely wake him up in the mornings now. He sleeps so good. You know what it was? He, had a, he didn't want to sleep by the window. It really seemed dumb at first. And it really seemed really, really silly at first. But you know what God was teaching me? He was teaching me, Ryan... How can you tell Cooper that God listens to him if you don't listen to him? Ryan, how can you let your son know you're serious about when he listens to things? In fact, a couple months earlier, we had dropped him off at a friend's house. And I'm going to end with this story. And, and I really mean that. A lot of pastors, when they say in conclusion, it doesn't mean anything, all right? But I'm really going to end with this. A couple months ago, I dropped my son off at a, at a friend's birthday party. It was on a Sunday. The birthday party was from 4 to 7, kind of a long birthday party. And we knew the friends, we knew them, we knew the people fairly well, and he had friends from school there. They didn't go to church or anything, but we just, we just, I dropped them off, and, 
and everything seemed good. I went in the house and checked everything out, and it wasn't, it wasn't too bad. I went home to lay down to take a nap for just a minute. My wife leans over and she says, you have got to stop moving around. I have to teach school tomorrow. I am trying to take a nap. I said, I cannot get comfortable. I don't know what it is. She said, well, what's wrong? I said, I don't know. I can't get Cooper off of my mind. So I finally, he'd been there for a little over an hour. I got in my truck. I drove about 15 minutes across town to the birthday party. I walked in, and as soon as I walked in, my son was sitting in the living room, and he said, Dad, I was just sitting here praying that God would wake, have you come get me. I'm not lying. There were some things going on. Some parents were drinking, nothing bad, but just things that normally he wouldn't do, and he didn't feel comfortable being around. We got in the car, and I said, Cooper, you need to understand something. Colossians 3.15 says, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. It's baseball season right now. That word rule in the Greek is the same word that we get umpire from. What that means is the Holy Spirit wants to call the balls and strikes in your life. What does an umpire do? Some of you grandparents, you probably go to the games and cuss them out. It's okay. <laughs> what does an umpire do? He calls safe, out, out of bounds, inbounds, balls, strikes. That's what the Holy Spirit wants to do in your life. If our families are going to get back to where they need to be, We've got to listen to our kids. We've got to learn to listen to the Holy Spirit. And I told my son that day, I said, Cooper, I just want to explain to you what happened. Things like that happened. I didn't know today was family day. Cooper, I, was, I couldn't get comfortable, bud. I was sitting there and I couldn't go to sleep and you were on my heart and you were on my mind. Cooper, can I tell you what I really believe was happening? You were praying and God was making me restless. He was answering your prayers. That's what was going on. That's what was going on. As we end today, I simply want you to ask yourself this question. You can go ahead and you can put it on the screen. If there's something in your family, something going on in your life that is causing you whatever, I want you to ask yourself, put it in that blank right there. Is whatever complementing or complicating your family? Is it complicating your? Is it complementing your family, helping your family be more what you want to be, or is it complicating your family, taking your family away from where you should be? I said that my goal is for my kids to want to be with me even when they don't have to. You know who else has that goal? I believe our heavenly Father has that goal, because what Jesus wants is He came and He died. He's just like at the story of the prodigal son. We've all at some point in time walked away and Jesus said, I've done everything I can. All I want is for my kids to want to come back and want to be with me. So I want to encourage you today, before I pray, to remember that you have a responsibility. Remember to have clear expectations. Remember to assume the best and not live in fear. And remember to listen to your kids and listen to the Holy Spirit. God, I thank you so much for this wonderful opportunity that we had today. God, I just pray that you would touch every family that is in this place. God, if there's anything, that is, uh, if there's anything that's complicating our families, God, I pray that you would help us to have the wisdom of what to do with that, Jesus. God, I pray that you would help every child in this place to become more like you. Lord, and, and whether the people here today are a parent or a grandparent or if they have no kids, God, I pray that you would help them to have spiritual kids, Lord that you would help them point somebody to you. We ask these things in your name.